All right, well, let's get started. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to page one. <laughs> or page four, if you have a study Bible, or page five, or page seven. For me, it's page one. <laughs> oh, you got quite a bit there. What are you, like, page 20? <laughs> 30? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh. Well, turn to the first page of meaningful text in your Bible, <laughs> whatever that page may be. <laughs> All right, we're going to look at Genesis. Now, you have your hand out there, and I've got seven points, right? Well, eight, is it eight points? Right? Uh, yeah, eight points. Now you may be thinking, why did he cross off days six and seven? <laughs> Does he not want days six and seven? No, I, said, I only got as far as day five for tonight. Uh, I was intending to go through day seven of creation, and then I realized that as I was kind of winding down with uh, as much material as I wanted to produce, uh, present, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to shortchange day six and seven because, let's face it, day six and seven are probably the most important of the creation week because you've got the creation of man in God's image, and you've got uh, the seventh day in which God sanctifies it and hallows it and makes it uh, a holy day. So we will look at those the next time. So I'm not changing the Bible and saying creation was in five days. I'm just, I'm just saying it's still six-day creation with one day of rest. We're just going to look at it in a couple of parts. Um, but I will read Genesis 1. I'll read the whole passage. Um, it's, it's, it doesn't hurt to do that. So let's uh, begin with the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse, or firmament, in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and separated the waters that were under the firmament from the waters that were above the firmament. And it was so. And he called the firmament heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. 
And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves and with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over every, sorry, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Okay. So there you have creation week. The six days of creation, the one day of rest, the prologue that talks about how God created everything under heaven and earth, created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. So here we are. We're going to look at the Really, we're going to look at the first 23 verses, the first five days of creation. But just a brief uh, recap of last time, because it's been about a month. Um, last time, it was really it was just a lot of introductory material. Um, who wrote uh, the book of Genesis? When was it written? Uh, to whom was it written? Why was it written? We looked at some of the things regarding Genesis and science, Genesis and history, uh, and Genesis and uh, redemption and how all of these things play into this. So uh, just a quick recap, um, I believe, and I think the, the weight of the biblical testimony bears this out, that Moses was the author of Genesis. Not that he was an eyewitness to these events, because everything in the book of Genesis is centuries before the birth of Moses. But Moses more than likely received 
all, if not most of this, from direct revelation from God while he was up on Mount Sinai. He may have done what Luke had done with the Gospel of Luke. He may have uh, gathered stories and, and other things from other people, but primarily this is a, really if you think about it, this is sort of like a, a God's view of, of things. And, and, and the purpose of the writing of this book is because you've got a people who have been, in a sense, generations without any real revelation from God, 430, 450 years or so, give or take, uh, since God spoke to their fathers, and here they are, they are captives in Egypt. And God is going to come and He's going to rescue them, and He's going to take them out of Egypt, and He's going to lead them to the promised land. And in order, before they get to the promised land, these people need to know who they are, why they're going to where they're going, and, and to whom they belong, which is they are God's people. And God is doing this because of a covenant He made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and, jo- uh, and Jacob. So this is primarily to, to give a history of the people of God for that generation so that they know who they are and why they're going to this promised land. Why is this land so special? Because God promised it to their forefathers to give them this land so that they would be blessed in this land, that they would be a nation. And, and really, when you think about how Genesis is the foundation for all of the, the Bible, this is really our history as well. This is a history of the people of God, of whom we are a part by faith. We are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith, as Paul will say in various places. So the, the whole formation of the nation of Israel is to be a vehicle then through which the Messiah will come into the world as, as this nation is formed. It's, it's, it starts with one man in Abraham and then his family and then uh, with Jacob and his sons and then their sons and then that nation then gets placed into a land and God will bless them and will give them laws and, 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 and sacrifices that all point forward to the Messiah that is to come. So this is sort of just a little bit of the background of this book, but Moses wrote this book. I believe Moses wrote this with the earlier date in mind, so around 1450 B.C., give or take. Uh, So I believe also in an earlier date of the Exodus, uh, not the later date of the Exodus. I think the biblical uh, data supports the earlier date. And it's a book of beginnings. It's a book of generations. It is a book that is foundational and key to understanding the rest of the Bible. If you do not have Genesis, then the rest of the Bible doesn't make sense. If you do not have Genesis, then, then Jesus, who refers to a lot of the books, you know, the writings of Moses, then it, he doesn't make sense. Why do you have Jesus if, if you don't have what you have here foundational in the book of Genesis? Now, so we, we're going to look a more. We looked a little bit at verse one last time, but we're going to look a little more closely at this entire uh, passage here, uh, starting in verse one, chapter one. Uh, eventually, in two parts to chapter two, verse three. Uh, tonight, we're going to look uh, at verses one through twenty-three of chapter one. But this is the creation account, okay? And and it's set forth really over against all of the other creation myths that would have been floating around at that time in the world. Again, you have the people of Israel. They've been in Egypt for centuries now. Uh, They probably, in some cases, some of them may have sort of 
syncretized to the Egyptian religion of their pantheon of gods and how they had a god for everything. Uh, the, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, all these things were gods in, uh, in the minds of the Egyptians. And they're going to a land that is also very polytheistic and paganistic. So you're going from a land that is polytheistic, you're coming from a land that's polytheistic and going to a land that is polytheistic. So this creation account here is given to sort of set itself apart from all the other creation myths they would have heard during this time. And it sets forth, of course, God as the creator. Now a lot of the, the myths that you would have gotten during this time would have been that the world and everything in it was created usually from some kind of struggle between uh, opposing gods. Uh, the, the Babylonian myths where you had the god Marmaduke fighting against the goddess, the evil dragon goddess Tiamat, and then the world was created from that. Um, you had all kinds of other myths like that where you have forces of good fighting forces of evil. Here you have, you know, you look at verse 1. It makes no apologies. It doesn't start off by saying, well, we know you're going to find this hard to believe. But in the beginning, God created everything that exists. It, it, it posits God as the only one there. And then he creates out of nothing everything that you have. So it's not a battle between warring deities. It is not some sort of mystical emanation from some uh, you know, cosmic force or anything. It is a very specific, ordered creation by a God who has a decree and a plan, and he is carrying it out through creation. And that's really the theme of tonight. God creates the heavens and the earth for his glory and our good in six days and then enters into his eternal Sabbath rest. In case you want me to repeat that, I'll repeat that. God creates the heavens and the earth for his glory and our good in six days and enters into his eternal Sabbath rest. All right, so the first part, we're going to look at the beginning of creation. Verses 1 and 2 are sort of like a prologue. Um, and here we have God for all eternity. Um, you know, we believe that God's decree, what we call God's decree, is not something that he decided to come up with on a Wednesday when it was raining and he was bored. God's decree is something that has always been there. We call it his eternal decree. For all time, God had this decree. And part of this decree, part of this plan, was to live in fellowship and communion with mankind, those beings created in his image. And creation is part of God uh, bringing about his eternal decree. When God creates, this is Him bringing into fruition His decree. So he, his, his decree is carried out in two main ways. It's through creation and through providence. So God creates everything that there is, and then with His providence, He governs all the things that He creates. And the creation is part of the decree, His plan to, again, live in fellowship with His creatures created in His image. How do I know that this is his eternal plan? Because we just finished the book of Revelation, in which how does the book of Revelation end? The book of Revelation ends with God in paradise with his people. I will be your God, you will be my people, and we will live in all eternity in an, an unbroken fellowship and communion with one another. Uh, in the beatific uh, 
uh, presence of our glorified Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Father for all eternity. So that was the plan at the beginning. That is the plan at the end. And everything in between is to get that plan back on track after the fall, which we will look at, Lord willing, when we get to chapter 3. So his plan, his decree, has always been to live in fellowship and communion with uh, mankind that has been created in his image, his image bearers. And again, creation is part of how he brings about this eternal decree. <clears throat> now, the first two verses here serve as a prologue to what follows in verses 3 and following. And verse 1 shows us, uh, unlike, like I said, you know, not Marmaduke, but Marduk. <laughs> And Tiamat, not uh, creation. The the universe is not something that came about as the uh, from some cosmic battle of the gods. Creation came about. The universe came about because God willed it into existence. Because He spoke it into existence. That's what the first verse says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, in the beginning, when is in the beginning? Who is God? What did He do? He created. And what did He create? Everything. Everything. That's what the heavens and the earth is. It, it's like saying you're giving the two bookends and everything in the middle. That's, it's a, there's, a, there's a literary phrase for that, but it just means everything. He created everything that we see. Everything came about by his will. Everything came about as he spoke everything into existence. So he is the creator of all things. He didn't need to create it. He wasn't lonely, so he created it. He wasn't bored, and that's why he created it. He created it to display his glory. He created it to display his glory to us, created in his image, and that we would worship him and enjoy him forever. Now, we know throughout other passages in the New Testament that God created through Jesus Christ. We've been going through the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John begins in the very much like, like Genesis begins, where we, hear, we see here, in the beginning was the Word, was the Logos. And the Logos, or the Word, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, is the means through which God creates. And if you, if you look, you know, we read through the passage, everything is like, and God said, and God said. God speaks, and Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is that eternal word through whom God creates all things. We see this again, Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him, Christ, whom Paul says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together." So Jesus Christ, again, the creative agent through whom the Father speaks the world into existence. He is the one through whom all things are created, and that he is the one in whom all things are sustained and held together. 
One more passage that talks about this as well is Hebrews chapter 1, also verses 1 through 3. And here we see long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Again, there's that God spoke, but this is, rub- this is a revealing word, not a creative word. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So Jesus Christ is the full and final and perfect revelation of God, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So all these verses show how God created the universe and the the New Testament gives us fuller explanation of this. It says that God created the universe through the agency of the Son. The Word of God. The Word that God spoke. And then you see here in verse 2 that the earth was without form and void. Or in the Hebrew, they're tohu and bohu. Tohu va bohu. I just like saying that. It just sounds, sounds neat to say that. Tohu va bohu. And it's interesting because we see this used in the exact same construction in the prophet Jeremiah chapter 4. This is the prophet um, looking at the, the destruction of his home in Judah. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was tohu vabohu. It was without form and void. And to the heavens they had no light. He looks at his homeland, at the destruction of his homeland, as God brings judgment on Judah. And it is as if it has gone back to this primeval state before God orders and populates the world. It is desolate. It is empty. It is, it is without form. It is chaotic. And it, it is empty. It is desolate. It is a wasteland. That's what those words mean. It, is, it has no order to it. And it has nothing populating it. And we see the Spirit hovering. Hovering over the face of the waters. Over these primordial waters. And, and there's an image in Deuteronomy 32 of of the of God as a you know is pictured as an eagle hovering over uh, her chicks. That's kind of how the spirit is. The spirit is hovering over the waters of creation, uh, sort of superintending, if you will, um, the 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 creation as things are about to be uh, ordered and filled. So you've got this this prologue here. So in order for God to dwell with His image bearers, there needs to be a place for them to dwell. And this formless and void heavens and earth are about to become ordered and populated. That's what the six days of creation that we will see coming after this happen. You have this this formless and void creation and God is going to order it. And then God is going to fill it. And that's how the days are broken up. You've got days one, two, and three. God is ordering, bringing order to the chaos. Days four, five, and six, God is populating what he has ordered. So he, he creates the light in day one. He's going to create the stars in the heavens on day four. He creates the, the sky, the expanse 
on day two, and he's going he's to populate that in the waters with, with birds and fishes and all kinds of things. He makes dry land appear on day three, and he's going to populate it with land beasts and all kinds of things and human beings on day six. So you've got a parallel there between uh, days one, two, and three, and days four, five, and six. Now, there's a couple of interesting things here we can see here, and, and, and some, these are just some of the interesting theories that people come up with. Now, if you, I don't know if you remember about a month ago when we looked at this, but um, there, there are some who hold to something called the gap theory. The gap theory, okay? And the gap theory is that somewhere in that space, in verse 1, that ends with the word earth and period, in verse 2 that begins with the word the, that in that little space there are billions and billions of years, okay? So, and that's why the earth was without form and void. So the theory goes, at least one aspect of it, is that God created the heavens and the earth, and then there was the satanic rebellion. You got the satanic rebellion, the fall of Satan, and there was judgment. And that's why the earth is without form and void in verse 2. Because God has judged it. This is sort of like an unspoken judgment on the earth for, for the rebellion of the angelic hosts. It's an interesting theory. problem is, how, how do you prove that? How do you, it's like you're fitting an awful lot in that, that gap there between the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. Uh, better to think of it as, this is just God... Now, I mean, the, the ancient church father, Augustine... He believed that, that God created everything like in the, in the manner of like seconds. I mean, could God have just like, you know, exist? And then everything could have been existent in the, in the form that it is? Yeah, of course he could have. But here we, we see God working. We see God forming. We see God ordering. This is how God decided to do it. He did it in the space of six days. It was all very good. And he did so so he could show a pattern. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. So here you have, in order for God to dwell with his image bearers, there needs to be a place for them to dwell. And what God is going to do now, he's going to order the creation, then he's going to populate the creation. And now we move on to the first day in verses 3 through 5. And God said, and now that's a formula you see that begins every day, right? Day 1 begins with that, day 2, I mean, all six days begin with that. And God said... And he spoke, let there be light, and then there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So all the days of creation begin with the phrase, God said, and all of them end, except the seventh one, all six of the days of creation end with, there was evening, and there was morning, the whatever day you're on. That's, that's the formula. You've got, and God said, and then at the end, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day, the second day, the third day, and so on. That's the formula. Now, the question, of course, that everyone wants to know, and that the Bible doesn't explicitly come right out and say, is, are these 24-hour days? What do you think? Are these 24-hour days? I'm seeing some heads say yes. I'm seeing some people say No. I believe they're 24-hour days. Uh, the, a couple of reasons why. Now, the word day in Hebrew, as it is in English, can mean 
a, a, a wide variety of things, right? It can mean a 24-hour day. It can also mean the daylight portion of a 24-hour day. The word day can mean an unspecified day, as in like the day of reckoning or something along those lines, where you're saying there's going to come a time in which reckoning will happen. Uh, you've got the day, which is often referred to as the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, however you want to call it. Again, probably not a 24-hour period, but a time specified in the future when judgment will come. All these kind of fall into the word day. But you have, in the case here, you've got, first of all, the numbering of the days is important. And you've got this morning and evening, or evening and morning, I should say. Evening and morning, this, that, that repeated pattern of evening and morning suggests also a 24-hour period. And one other uh, point that I would, I would, and one other piece of evidence I would point out is when God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and he gives the, the, command, the fourth commandment for the Sabbath, he gives them, and this is uh, Exodus 20 verse 8, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So you've got here evidence, at least from the Ten Commandments, that the six days of creation are the pattern for which you have the week, the, the, the work week. Six days of your work and then one day of rest. And, and, and the command is given based on how God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Now there are other theories, and some of them are unbiblical. Some of them I don't agree with, but I would say they're not unbiblical because at least they're trying to come at it from the text. I don't agree with their interpretation, but at least they're trying to address the issues in the text. So there are some other theories on this. I don't agree with them, but uh, the one that I probably hold the closest affinity to that I don't agree with, but I think has the most merit of the ones I don't agree with, is called the framework. The framework theory uh, suggests that the days of creation are, in a sense, looking at creation from God's perspective. This is God's time, not our time. But God's time, our time, I should say, is patterned after God's time. You can think of like how we see in 2 Peter, where you know, Peter says, you know, to the Lord, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day, so on and so forth. So you've got God's time, and you've got our time. Uh, and, that, and that the framework, the, the, the six days are sort of a way to frame, if you will, God's creative activity. Now, again, they're trying to make sense of the text, with the text at least. I don't agree with their interpretation. My, my vote is for 24-hour days, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. But God begins here the ordering of creation. That's what's most important. Really, the most important thing to get at here is what is God doing here? And in the first three days, he is ordering the creation. Remember, it's formless and void. That means it has, it's desolate and it's, it's empty. So he's going to order it. And the first thing he does is he creates light. He creates light 
and he separates the light from the darkness, and he calls the light day, and he calls the darkness night. And he describes the light as good. The light is good. And you can probably draw some, some moral <laughs> and theological uh, um, uh, things out of this as well. Uh, light and darkness, good and evil. But here God creates the light, and he says, on day one, I'm going to create light. It's going to be there as a cycle. That's, how, that's what creates the cycle of day and night. You've got this light and you've got this darkness. He calls the light day. He calls the darkness night. And we also know that, from the, also from the New Testament, right, that Jesus is described as the light of the world as well. Right? So you've got this idea of Jesus as the light of God. But he calls the light good. And then notice this pattern as well. We're going to see this, and I'm going to reference it as we go through here. But we see that God speaks and things happen. Right? God says, let there be light. And what happens? Light appears. We call this fiat creation. Now, you may be thinking, isn't fiat like a French car? <laughs> it's like, yes, it is. But it's also a Latin word that means a decree or a command. And we call it fiat creation because God commands things to happen, and they happen. There's no committee, right? Not like in our annual church meeting this afternoon or this morning. There's no committee. There's no Robert's rules in heaven. It's God speaks, things happen. Uh, we're going to be turning to a number of the Psalms uh, tonight, so uh, you can turn with me if you like. But in Psalm 33... Because some of these are creation psalms, and Psalm 33 is one of them. Psalm 104 is a big one that we're going to be going back and forth to. But in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God speaks, things happen. I'm kind of reminded of the old E.F. Hutton commercials. You remember those? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Um, well, when God speaks, things happen. And it happens exactly as God speaks it forth. So God closes the first day by calling the light day and the darkness night. And that, that refrain, evening and morning here, is showing this progression of time, this progression of the days. There's another theory about the days. I'm kind of backtracking here, but it just kind of brought this to mind as I was looking at this. One theory is that the days themselves are 24-hour periods, but they're separated by thousands and millions and billions of years. So you get these, you know... I think it's called the day-age theory is, one, is, is what it's called. That's just another one of the theories. I'll, I'll just leave that out there. The second day, verses 6 through 8. So the second day here, now, so we've got light and darkness marking evening and morning. And now in the second day, verses 6 through 8, God says, let there be an expanse, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, or the sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. 
So you see the separating of the waters. Now, remember in verse 2, you see the Spirit hovering over the waters. And then God says, I, I want an expanse. I want a firmament. So he speaks and he separates these waters. Now, I've heard all kinds of things about what are the waters above? Okay, you've, the waters below make sense. That's the waters that are left on the planet. What are the waters above? Is it the vapor that's in the air? Is it the vapor that's in the, in the atmosphere? Is it, is it some place where water was above? Um, I don't know. All I know is that when, when God gets ready to uh, judge the earth in Genesis 6, he says that the foundations of the earth broke forth and water popped up and the, the fountains of the heavens were open and water came down and, and who knows what these waters are. But all we see here is this creation of this expanse, the, the heavens, if you will. Not just the heavens that we see like our sky, but the universe, all of it is created here in this separating of the waters below from the waters above. And this, the word in Hebrew, if you're interested, is called a rakia, the rakia, this firmament, this expanse, this sky. Again, in Psalm 104, I said we're going to be looking at Psalm 104 quite a bit. So you may want to keep Psalm 104 bookmarked. <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm reading verse 1. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Verse 2. Covering yourself with light as with a garment. Stretching out the heavens like a tent. So here we see the expanse of the heavens stretched out, as it were, like a tent. You can call this the vault of the heavens. Uh, there's a lot of imagery in the Psalms that talk about you know, the pillars uh, holding forth the vault of the heavens. I mean, that's, that's poetic language. But this idea is here, you've got now a sky. You've got a, an atmosphere, if you will. This, this, the, the, the waters have been separated, and you've got this expanse. And again, you see in verse 7, God speaks, he makes the expanse, and it was so. God speaks, God does, and it was so. And the waters are uh, below are divided. They are stretched out to form this expanse. I'm going to reference a couple other verses here. Job 37, verse 18. Can you, spread, can you, can you like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? This is uh, Elihu speaking to Job. Or Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2. Sorry, verse 12. Can't read my own writing. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12. It is he, God, who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out to the heavens. Proverbs 8. I'm just showing you in other places of Scripture that describe this, what God does here on day one. Proverbs 8, verses 27 through 29. When he established the heavens, I was there. This is God's speak, uh, personification of wisdom. Uh, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that its waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Wisdom was there. God was using wisdom in all of this. But when he f made firm the skies above, this idea of this, this expanse being stretched out. 
And he calls the expanse the heaven, or the heavens, the shemayim, the plural, heavens, or skies, or the universe. And then you have here in verse 8 another rotation. There was evening and there was morning. Second day, or day the second, literally in the Hebrew. And now the third day, verses 9 through 13. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. We'll stop there for a moment. So here, as the third day dawns, God now turns his attention back to the earth. He has created the, the heavens. He's created the skies. He's created the expanse. Now he turns back to the earth. And just as the waters were separated from above and below to form the expanse, God now separates the water and gathers the water into one location so that dry land appears. Or the, the, the word there, gather, collected. He, he collects all of the waters into one place. Again, Psalm 104, verses 5 through 9. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they may not again cover the earth. Again, in very poetic language here, the psalmist is talking about how what is happening here. God separates. He gathers the waters together in one place so that dry land appears. And again, God speaks, and it was so. You know, God has ultimate authority here. Nothing is thwarting His will. And then God has always names these things. And again, this naming of things is a sign of ownership. He calls the dry land earth, or Eretz is the word in the Hebrew. And He calls the waters the seas, the yam, the seas. And He pronounces them good. Now, there's, it's very interesting here because there's a theory that is both uh, pr promoted by uh, creation scientists as well as secular scientists. This idea of what they call Pangea. Have you heard of Pangea? You, you probably heard of that word. Pangea is, is like the, 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 the major like mega continent. Okay? It's one of those, like if you were to look at the continents of the world, um, they almost look like puzzle pieces that can fit together. right? And the idea is that when, on day th uh, three here, when God draws the waters away and dry land appears, this was perhaps the Pangaea continent that would, would have been more than likely broken apart when God judges the world in the flood in Genesis 6, where the foundations of the earth are broken. Because and, and it, it was, there wasn't enough rain for 40 days, okay? There had to have been more water coming from underneath the ground to, to flood as much as it did. So this breaking apart uh, of the world, and, and perhaps you get the continental drift from that point on. But here, perhaps, this is one whole you know, continent at this point. But he calls them good. But there's more activity on day three. Not only does the dry land appear, but then God starts to, to plant uh, vegetation. We see here verses 11 through 13. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. So again, God speaks and it happens. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their... So this is a very Hebrew way of speaking. You know, God commands something to happen, 
And then it happens, and the Hebrew says exactly the way God commanded it. So the earth brought forth vegetation, plant yielding seeds according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to each to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So there's other interesting little, I call them Hebraisms. I don't call them that. That's, That's what they're called. They're called Hebraisms, and it's the Hebrew way of speaking. And where it says here, let the earth sprout vegetation, uh, the Hebrew literally says, let the earth vegetate vegetation. (laughs) That's kind of the way the Hebrew mind and the Hebrew language works. Let the earth vegetate vegetation. It uses the noun and the verb to say the same thing. So uh, like in Hebrew, you, you would say, you don't swear an oath, you vow a vow. Okay, I vow, that's the verb. What do you vow? A vow, the, the thing that I'm... So the earth vegetates vegetation. Um, I couldn't think of any other better way to say it than that. But that's kind of literally what the Hebrew is saying there. The, the, the earth vegetates vegetation. But notice also, very important, we'll get to it when we look at the... Uh, in day five with the, the, the sea creatures and the birds. But this idea of according to its kind. According to its kind. This is going to blow up, if you will, the notion of macroevolution. Okay? Now, if you were to say, do we believe in evolution? Yes, we believe in evolution. Do you believe in macroevolution, that everything, the diversity that you have, all came from one kind of small thing in the very beginning? No, we don't believe that. We believe that God created everything according to its kind. And then you can have variation within a species. You can have variation within kinds. And that is quite evident if you just look at the number of dogs that you see in the town. Right? There's all kinds of breeds of dogs. There's all kinds of breeds of horses. There's all kinds of breeds of cats and other things. This is, this is the variation within its kind. Okay, uh, That we believe in. But did cats and dogs come from pond scum? No, we don't believe that because that would require the addition of information into the system that mutation does not do. Mutation does not result in the addition of new information into a system. Mutation always results in the loss of information in a system. So when God says here, he created all the varieties of the plant life and they each produce fruit, and trees and vegetation according to its kind. So apple trees will continue to produce apple trees. They're not going to start producing orange trees, okay? Same thing with plants. Uh, They're going to produce according to their kind. God has an infinite creativity, and this great diversity that you see in the vegetation is uh, designated by this phrase, according to its kind. And then God speaks it as so, and it was good. Everything is good. Every time God creates something, he calls it good, because it is good, because God created it. Now the fourth day, verses 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God said, uh, God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. 
And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. Okay. So now what you have here is the first three days are done. God has ordered, right? God has created light and darkness. So he's created this rotation of day and night. God has created the expanse. And God has created dry ground and gathered the seas together. So he has ordered the formless creation. He is now going to start filling and populating the void. Where the earth was formless and void, it is now no longer formless. And now it is no longer going to be void as God will fill the void. And here in day four, you see uh, the lights are created. They let there be lights in the expanse. So, not quite sure exactly how it looks, but when God created light in day one, the light was just kind of there. I mean, God, and it could be coming from God himself, who is light. Well, now God sort of attaches that light to lights. And in Hebrew, the word is different. The light that he creates is different than the lights that you see here in, that, are filled in the, that are used to fill the expanse in day four. But he attaches now to these lights that have filled the expanse that was created in day two. And we see this uh, so beautifully in Psalm 19, which uh, I'm sure most of you know this one. This is the one that talks about God's revelation, both in creation and in his word or his law. But in Psalm 19, the first six verses, where God here is creating the, the lights in the heavens, you see here the psalmist David says, the heavens Declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So, I mean, this, the, the creation is, is revealing things. The creation is, is speaking with, without words. It's speaking and revealing knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The heavens declare the glory of God, and here we see why, because God created it all. He puts the lights out there. So the lights, the stars, the moon, etc., they serve two main purposes here. We see that they are made for signs and seasons, in other words, to mark time, and they're also there to provide light. They are there to mark time, and they're there to provide light. Again, Psalm 104. I apologize for going back and forth, but I want you to get the full counsel of God's word here. Psalm 104, verses 19 and 20. Here the psalmist says, He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. So here God creates the day and the night and he puts the, the, he puts the sun and the moon and all these things to mark the time and the seasons and to provide light. Now, All right, I'll just keep going. I was going to say something, but I say it later. <laughs> so, so God again here you see God speaking. Let there be lights in the heavens, and again it was so. God speaks, things happen, and then you see here the two great lights, the two, the sun and the moon, the greater light and the lesser light. But these are the two great lights, and they rule the day and they rule the night. The sun rules the day, the moon rules the night. 
They were made and they were fashioned by God to, to rule day and night. Now, this is opposed... Now, think about this, okay? What God is showing here and what He's telling His people, because again, they're coming from where? Where, where are God's people coming from? Slavery, but slavery where? In Egypt. And where are they going? <laughs> Canaan, right? And two, both the Egyptians and the Canaanites were polytheistic pagan worshipers that worship the sun, the moon. These were gods to them. And what is God saying here? What is Moses saying to us in the book of Genesis? God created the sun. God created the moon. These are not deities to be worshipped. These are things that God has put in, into the heavens for His purposes. To mark time and seasons and signs and to give light. God created these things. These are not gods. This is opposed to nearly every other pagan religion in which the sun, the moon, the stars are gods. And I love this in verse 16. That it, it's a, Now, in, in my translation, it's three words because that's literally what it says in the Hebrew uh, and the stars at the end of verse 16. <laughs> so he creates the sun, the moon, all the lights of the heavens, and, 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 the, and the stars. Now, if you think about that, right, how big is our universe? It's vast, right? <laughs> I mean, we've got telescopes out there that are gazing into the outer reaches of our universe and, and giving us these wonderful pictures of, of star formation and nebulae and all these other things. And, and you know, we marvel at this. And, and all of that is contained in those three words, and the stars. God just, it's just like... Yeah, and you want to know all of that wonderfulness that you see out there? I created that too. That's mine too. All of the, 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 the vast diversity of the created heavens are, are created by God as well. And then regarding times and seasons. So, I mean, you think about this, right? How do we mark a day? The earth rotates on its axis, right? That's how we mark a day. How do we mark a month? The moon rotates around the earth, right? How do we mark a year? The earth orbits the sun, right? Okay. How do we mark a week? God created the week, right? God created the week. So, so these, these lights, yes, they do create and they do mark time, right? The, the rotation of the earth on its axis giving us that, that, that pattern of evening and morning, that's the day. Uh, the month, the lesser light as it rotates around the earth gives us the month. Uh, as the earth rotates or orbits around the greater light, that gives us the year. But the week, that is created by God. As God gives us the pattern here of six days of labor, one day of rest. And God saw that it was good, evening and morning the fourth day. And now finally, the fifth day, verses 20 through 23. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them. So here's the first announcement of a blessing from God. He gives a benediction to the, to the sea creatures and the, and the birds. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. 
Has anybody ever, anybody ever been to like an aquarium? Like a really nice one? <laughs> I think we were at the one in Monterey, and then we've been to the one in Chicago, the, the Shedd Aquarium. And if you go to these aquariums, and I mean, you can, if it's a good aquarium, you could see the vast diversity of marine life. It is amazing the vast diversity of marine life that you could see even in an average aquarium. And here you got God creating, filling the waters with these sea creatures and telling them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters. And to the birds, fill the skies. All the, the vast variety of birds and sea life, all these things. God creates all these things on the fifth day. He fills, he populates now the expanse he populates the waters that he created with sea creatures and, and birds. And you get another little uh, Hebraism in verse 20 where uh, let the waters swarm with swarms. And that's kind of literally what it's saying there. Uh, you know, swarm with swarming things and, and all these things. It's, I just love the way Hebrew kind of uh, uh, puts these things in here. It's like he's commanding the waters to swarm with swarms. Um, and again in Psalm 104, you get a picture of this in Psalm 104, verses 25 and 6. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. We'll get to Leviathan in a moment. So here you've got God creating all these things, and he fills the skies with all manner of birds and winged creatures. And then in verse 21, we see God creating the great Sea creatures. That word there in the Hebrew is tenin. Tenin. It, it literally means like a dragon, a sea serpent, or, or even a sea monster. Um, it could refer to whales or other large sea creatures, or it could refer to extinct dinosaurs even. And here's where I want to look at the book of Job for a second. Job chapter 40. If you know the structure of Job in chapter 40... God is giving Job a kind of a dressing down, <laughs> right? God, uh, Job, in his, in his, uh, just his, his anguish and his despair, began to speak out and, and was getting really close to putting God in the dock. That's, that's a C.S. Lewis phrase. Putting God in the witness stand. And God finally shows up and says, you, you want to question me? I'm going to question you, Job. And then he answers him, asks him a whole bunch of questions. And in chapter 40, uh, verses 15 through 18, Job, uh, God speaks to Job. He says, Behold behemoth, behold behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. Now I've heard Bible teachers, respected Bible teachers, people I would agree with on like 95% of what they say, say that behemoth is a hippopotamus. Now I've seen hippopotamuses, not up close, but I've seen pictures of them. Do they have tails like cedars? It's like a little, you know, it's kind of like a little stringy tail. Um, no, this is not, I mean, the, the answers in Genesis people say, and I kind of agree, 
He's probably talking about something like a, like a brachiosaurus or something, something enormous, right? Uh, it, it's, you know, I mean, you know, to, people wonder where are the dinosaurs? You know, Bible doesn't have dinosaurs. Well, the word dinosaur didn't come up until like the 19th century anyway. You know, often the word they would use would be dragon. You know, so dragons would be the great lizards and stuff. Um, and, then in, and then again, you have in chapter 41, verses 1 and 2, where Job, uh, God says to Job, can you draw Leviathan with a fish hook? No. <laughs> because Leviathan, now this is another one. The same scholars that say that behemoth is a hippopotamus will say Leviathan is an alligator or a crocodile. Okay, yeah, you can't catch a crocodile with a fish hook. But I don't think he's referring to a crocodile. Or press down his tongue with a cord. Can you put a rope in its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? A crocodile you can. Leviathan is probably a large ancient sea creature. Could be a, a sea, seafaring dinosaur of all kinds. But here's the point. See, the, again, the Egyptians, the Canaanites, every other pagan religion would have seen these great creatures as godlike beings. And what God is saying here in Genesis 1 is like, look, I created them. There is no other God besides me. There is no one else. I will share my glory with no other. I created the sun, moon, and the stars which you worship. They are, they are not gods. They are my creation. I created the great sea creatures. I created the great behemoths in the world. They are all my creations. They are not gods to be worshipped. They are not other competing deities that do battle with Jehovah. And then again, you get this phrase here that they are to be fruitful and multiply according to their kind. Again, no macroevolution. God blesses them and multiplies to multiply and fill the seas and skies. God delights in life in all of its variety and its diversity. And God created this variety and diversity by his infinite creativity. Well, we're going to stop here. Uh, at the end of day five. So you have to come back on February 5th because in two weeks, it's a fifth Sunday, we'll have, uh, we'll have our guests from the conference here. But February 5th will be the next time we meet and we will look at days six and day seven. But just to kind of bring this to a recap, God, again, here is ordering his creation and he's populating it. He is taking this formless and void world which he created by speaking into existence, and he is fashioning it. He is the master craftsman. He is the master architect. And he is fashioning this, this world that he created out of nothing. There was no pre-existent material. God created the material as well. And he's fashioning it, and he's forming it, and he's filling it. And at the pinnacle of this creation will be man created in the image of God, which will be his vice region, who will rule over the creation, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. But again, this is all for God's glory. This is all for, his, for our good and for God's glory so that God can dwell with us and we will be his people. He will be our God. We know that in a couple of chapters that, that communion will be broken. And then the rest of the Bible, of course, is how God will restore that communion with us through Jesus Christ our Lord, through the promises that we see in the Old Testament, promises that are carried through Genesis into the rest of the Old Testament, that God will fulfill with the coming of Christ, and then that union will be restored through Christ.